Oh. Do you ever have a day when you're just off? I forgot my belt today. I don't know why I forgot my belt today. You'd think the pants would have been a clue. But um, if they fall down, I'm just going to keep going. Boxers underneath, they're all good. Uh, but yeah, like now, everything, like just kind of the domino effect. Have you ever had that experience? Might Please tell me I'm not. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. So if, if you asked somebody outside of the, maybe not part of a church community today, if you asked them what the church was about or what the church stood for, what do you think they would say? Like, and, and let's think church global for a moment. Like, if, if we just asked somebody sort of randomly who, didn't, who wasn't part of a faith community today, who, who didn't have a, a church family, a, a church home, how do you think they would answer the question, what is, what is church about? What, what, is, what is the mission, what is the purpose of the church? This question has been on my mind. It's been on my mind a lot since... Uh, since my sabbatical, my renewal leave and coming back, it was just a question that kind of kept coming up for me as, as, uh, as we traveled. I'll share a little bit more about that. But I, I wonder what, what, what would happen if we think about that at the local level, if we think about Clay Church. If you went out today after church and went out to lunch and, and you asked a, a server, somebody you bumped into that, that wasn't in church, that didn't have a church family, that wasn't part of a church, and said, you know, what, what, what do you think the purpose is of Clay Church? What, is, what does Clay Church stand for? What do, you think, what do you think that they would say? It's an important question, I think. So we think about our mission, and we, we think about how we show up in the world, the fruit of our ministry. I want to invite you just to, just to hold on to that question today. Just kind of hold it in, in the back of your minds as we're going to continue to examine encounters with Jesus in the Bible. Just, just hold this question in the background. Would you pray with me? Holy God, for all of us gathered today as your church, just open us to, to hear what you would have to speak to us through your word. Open our minds to understand. Open our eyes to, to see what you would have us see. Open our hearts that we might encounter your very presence in these moments today and come to a deeper understanding of your love and grace for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last year, Cheryl and, I, Cheryl and I had the opportunity to travel to Egypt and Jordan, and it was an amazing experience, but we, we did that tour with a non-religious travel group. Uh, intentionally, I wanted to pick a, a, a group, a travel company that would m provide the opportunity to to travel and interact and sit down and share meals with, with people who maybe had a church background, but, but very, very likely wouldn't have a church background. Now, don't get me wrong, traveling with Christian pilgrims is amazing, um, and I've done those trips, and we'll, we'll do more of those. In fact, several people have asked just recently about traveling to Israel again, and I'd love to do that. But for this experience, um, it was just nice to be traveling. It was a, a, a 
a learning experience to be traveling with those who weren't traveling for religious experience, not an agenda of learning more about the Bible. One of the young adults that we traveled with, her name was Emily. She was a young woman living in the, in the United Kingdom, and uh, she was a, a U.S. citizen, uh, had a, a doctorate, uh, was a teacher in a college out east, and then um, due to some struggles there with patriarchal system in education. She kind of burned out of that, uh, went, to the, went to the UK and was actually teaching communication to engineers there. I don't know if Emily grew up in the church, but it was pretty apparent in our conversations that Emily didn't have any, any current connection to a faith community, or at least none that she talked about. One day, as we were uh, traveling, we were actually doing the tours around the pyramids of Egypt, and um, I specifically remember, because I remember the conversation so vividly, we were right around the Sphinx, kind of at the front of the, of the pyramids area. I think Cheryl, I don't believe was there. I think maybe she'd gone to like probably take another picture. She took 10 for my every one. Um, I think Cheryl had gone to, to take a, a picture of the Sphinx. And so it was Emily and I and another young woman. And I don't remember exactly what we're talking about. They, neither of them were living in the U.S. And so I think it was about kind of their experience of, of living elsewhere and looking back at the United States from across seas. Um, but what I do remember very vividly is what she said kind of right in the heart of that conversation. She said, it's those who speak for the church. And by those who speak for the church, she meant the church in the United States. She said, it's those who speak for the church who are pulling people apart and destroying what I knew as the United States. And then she immediately turned to me. At this point, we had introduced ourselves. She knew I was a pastor. And she goes, no offense. And I quickly said, none taken. And I meant it, I didn't take any offense at, at what she said, like I didn't take what she said personally or, or didn't take any offense at, at her expressing her, her view. But I probably wasn't completely honest. I think I, I was offended in this moment, not, not by her, but by this, what I fear is true of too many people who see the church in the world in that way. I've wrestled with that conversation ever since. Like, what does that, what does that mean? If that's what people see, what, what can we do as, as Clay Church, as the church in the world? I thought of that experience this week as I read Matthew chapter 9. And as I thought about that, I began to wonder, I wonder what, like, I wonder in the time of Jesus, like, what were people saying, people outside of the people of God, outside of the Jewish community, what were people saying about the people of God? What, what was their impression? Abraham had been called, right, the Bible is this story of, of God calling Abraham to, to birth a nation, to birth a people, the people of God, who would be blessed to be a blessing. So is, is that what people saw in the people of God? Did they see people blessed to be a blessing to everyone else? 
Were the people of God under the, under the leadership at that time of the teachers of the law and the, and the Pharisees, were they a blessing to others? Were they a blessing to the, the nations? And I wonder if we don't find a, a clue to this question in, the, in two encounters with Jesus that we're going to find today in Matthew chapter 9. If you want to follow along in, in your Bibles, we're going we're to start right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9. And here's the, the first of those, the two stories we're going to look at today. It says this, Jesus stepped into a boat. If you weren't with us last week, Jesus was on the other side of the sea in, in areas where um, uh, they were largely non-Jewish, uh, controlled by the Roman Empire, um, not, a, not a large Jewish population. He was on the other side of the sea. And now he's essentially coming back home. So Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. And his own town in this context is likely Capernaum. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God who had given such authority to man. We're going to pause here for a moment before we get to, the, get to the next encounter. In Mark and Luke, this story looks a little bit different. Some of you maybe know that version, which is four friends, and they bring their paralyzed friend, and they lower him down through, through the roof in front of Jesus. Matthew, for whatever reason, leaves that part out. But something else happens here in Matthew's account that, that's kind of odd. Did you notice it? Let's say your friend is paralyzed. We'll put ourselves in the shoes of the people in this story. Let's say your friend is paralyzed, and you've heard about the healings of this, of this rabbi, this teacher named Jesus, and, and you think maybe there's a, a chance for, for my friend to be healed. And so you get some friends together, and you, you, you take your, your friend, and you bring him on his mat. The four of you carry him together, and you get to the place where Jesus is, but it's so crowded, you like can't even get close. Like Everybody is there. And there's no way to get through the crowd with the mat, but this isn't going to stop you because you want your friend to experience what you've heard about that others have experienced in Jesus. And so you're willing to do anything. You're willing to figure out how to get him up on a rooftop and then over and lower him down through the roof to get him in front of Jesus. Like this is how dedicated you are to seeing your friend healed. And so you and your friends, they, they lower him, they lower him down and, and Jesus is right there and Jesus notices and turns and he says, your sins are forgiven. And wouldn't you be like, wait, what? No, no, Jesus, we brought him to be healed. 
right? Well, we, we brought our friend to be healed, not for his sins to be forgiven. I mean, that's great, but, but we brought our friend because we want him, to, we want him to, to walk again. Surely Jesus knows that our, our friend, like the reason we're here is for our friend to be healed. Why, why would he just forgive sins? One answer proposed by teachers with, with sort of this deep knowledge of Jewish culture at the time is, uh, I, I just find it fascinating. That one of the ways, right, let me pause for a moment. One of the things uh, that we should be encouraged to do when we have a question in Scripture, when something doesn't quite make sense, like not healed but forgiving sins, one of the things that we should do in those moments is dig in. Because in, in Eastern literature, different from our Western world where it just keeps giving answers, Eastern literature, which, which the Bible really is, it's inviting us to dig in. When you have a question, when something doesn't make sense, dig in. Ask somebody for a little context, do some more reading, see what it says. In this case, if you dig in, you learn a little bit more about the, um, uh, right, the other gospels say that Jesus was surrounded by crowds and he was teaching at the time. And so, I, I know there are a number of teachers here, and one of the things you know as a teacher is if you're teaching and something happens in your classroom at that moment, right, something inter interrupts the lesson, what's one of the best things that you can do? It's like take that in interruption and incorporate it into your lesson because it just takes the flow. Uh, I, one, of the early, uh, uh, one of my early mentors in ministry said, if something goes wacko in worship, just own it and teach from it. <laughs> like that's the moment just just own it and teach from it and if we think about that then it's very plausible maybe even likely that Jesus was sitting there teaching probably reteaching some of the things he had taught on the sermon on the mount it's very possible he was there teaching about forgiveness in that moment Right? And so he's teaching about forgiveness he's he's teaching about God's mercy and God's love and this Suddenly, this man is lowered through the roof to his, to his feet, and it's like lesson time. Your sins are forgiven because of the faith of your friends. Don't miss that, right? He looks at the friends and sees their faith, not the man's faith. He sees the friend's faith, and he goes, because of your friends, your sins are forgiven, The teachers of the law, right, they are upset immediately. And we're going to probably guess Jesus probably knew that this was going was to rile them. This is not how forgiveness happens according to the laws and the systems that they had set up for forgiveness. This is not how they understood God's forgiveness. God is a God of judgment, and there are steps to avoid God's wrath, right? You can't just come and tell somebody they're forgiven for them. So they're asking this question, who is this teacher who claims to have the power to forgive, or even worse, suggests that, that man can just forgive, man can just forgive man, human can just forgive human. Jesus, in forgiving the man's sins, 
is introducing a teaching about God's mercy and about his power, Jesus' power to forgive. The healing that follows, it isn't ultimately about healing. It's about emphasizing this lesson that I am in your presence. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. It shows this power not just to heal, but to offer forgiveness. What Matthew says next is really interesting. Matthew says, the people praised God, but what did they praise God for? They praised God for the authority God had given to man, to humans. They praised God for, for the authority. And what was the authority? Well, in this case, right, what they saw was the authority to forgive to share God's mercy with others. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. Jesus has already taught that in the Sermon on the Mount. And now, here's another opportunity to emphasize that, that lesson. Right, this encounter echoes that teaching. Forgive as you have been forgiven. In the forgiveness of Jesus, we're invited to both encounter and share in God's mercy. Encounters with Jesus invite us, right, to receive and share the forgiveness that Jesus offers. One of my prayers is that every Sunday we might hear this invitation in some way in the gospel message, that we might encounter Jesus and know that we are loved as we are and we are forgiven and made whole in that love of Jesus. The next encounter with Jesus may seem to be a completely new story, but, but we now can pay attention with this lens of, of God's, Jesus' teaching on mercy and forgiveness. Matthew says this, picking up at verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Right. On the surface, these two stories are different. One is a healing story, and one is a calling story. But if we look a little bit deeper at each, they're held together by this vital truth. Jesus came to humanity to offer God's forgiveness for our sins. The mission of Jesus is mercy, is sharing God's mercy 
right? I picture this group at dinner. They're having a great time, right? They're telling stories. Jesus is, is listening to them, paying attention to them, something they haven't experienced from other, other Jewish people, other, other Jewish leaders. And right after dinner, everybody's happy, and the, they're headed home, and, and the disciples are kind of in a cluster, in a group. And the, the, the Pharisees who've overseen this, they pull a couple of them aside, and they're like, what is your teacher thinking? Like, he can't be a real rabbi. Real rabbis don't, don't eat with sinners and, and tax collectors. They avoid those, those kinds of people. And I, I don't imagine that Jesus, like, sometimes people think of this like Jesus had superpowers and he, he you know, he overheard from a long distance. I, I think it's more like, you know, when people are gossiping on one side of the room and they're just kind of whispering, but they're not whispering quiet enough and you overhear them. I, that this is what I imagine. Jesus is like walking along in front and he just overhears this and he just turns and, and gives them that look that you give somebody that, that isn't willing to just bring the issue to you and have a conversation about it. He looks right at them and, and he says, look, like, here, here it is. Here's the answer to the question you're asking. This is how the message says it. Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Right? Matthew's gospel, it emphasizes again and again and again this mission of Jesus to embrace the outsider, to embrace those who don't feel God's love, to embrace those who, who, who have been marginalized, who don't feel a part of the community. And this does not mean that repentance and, um, and teaching and the law are not part of the faith. They, they absolutely are. But the primary mission of Jesus, the starting place for Jesus is to right, is to teach and to show and ultimately to die so that we would know the extent of God's love, the depth of God's mercy. Greg Carey is a, is a Bible professor at Lancaster Theological Seminary, and I read something where he was reflecting on this text, and I tried to put it in my own words a few times, and then I'm like, man, I just need to give him credit. This is, this is so good. He points out that in, in Matthew Jesus has some tough things to say to religious leaders, right? To followers who don't understand, he can be really direct, almost feels impatient sometimes. And he will call an entire city, like essentially addressing the leadership, he'll call an entire city to repentance. But none of Jesus' harsh words in the Gospel of Matthew are directed to sinners, Nor does Matthew record Jesus reproving them in any way. In fact, this is actually true of the Gospels. If you read through all of the Gospels, um, the only time that Jesus uh, says something about essentially go and sin no more to an outsider or to, uh, or to a sinner is to the woman um, caught in uh, adultery who they're about to stone which is an insertion, we believe, later in, in John's Gospel. In the other places, Jesus doesn't share harsh words or lecture sinners. He just sits down and he dines with them. He sits down to a meal and he shares that they're loved and they're included. 
in God's kingdom. Blessed to be a blessing. Jesus is reclaiming this mission given to Abraham and inviting the people to see it again in him. This is who God invites God's people to be, blessed to be a blessing. This is the mission Jesus is inviting God's people to reclaim. Repenting and living moral lives becomes a part of that walk and a part of being the example to others of this, of this way of Jesus. But the starting point, the entrance point is knowing and sharing God's mercy. Mercy that doesn't come with strings attached. Mercy that accepts everyone right where they are and says, you are loved. Come into this community and grow with us. Right? The healing we seek in the world, the community I think we really desire to be a part of, to live in, begins with offering the forgiveness shown to us in Jesus. Which leads us back to the question, what do people outside encounter in the church today? Do they first encounter the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus? When the answer is yes, we need to celebrate. Where the answer is yes, we are fulfilling our mission of walking with more people toward a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to keep on that walk. Where the answer is no, there is really good news in today's encounters with Jesus. This has been a struggle for the people of God before. And in these encounters, Jesus gives a pretty clear path to how to restore that mission of helping people know God's forgiveness and mercy. Two steps in these two stories. First, serve. Get out there and meet people where their needs are and love them as the friends did with the paralyzed man. It was their faith that brought the man to the forgiveness of his sins. The first step is to serve others, to give of our time and our energy and to stop at nothing, to see that the needs of those in our community, particularly those outside the, the care of the community, to see that those needs are met and to bring them to know that they are loved by Jesus. And the second step is a little bit harder for us, maybe a lot harder for us. The second step is to sit down at the table and share meals with each other. Nope, sorry. To share meals not with each other, but to share meals with those who are outside the church, those who, who don't feel loved by the church, those who might not ever step foot in the church, maybe even those who are angry at the church, and just to listen, not to lecture, not to reprove, to start with not even to try and convince, but to, but to listen and to love, to share in meals and, and be open to hear the stories, to listen to the criticism and the hurts to confess where the church has fallen short of its mission in Jesus. Right, to share in meals 
without judging, without an agenda, simply to, to continue to love and continually invite people to know the love of Jesus. The poet William Blake once wrote, where mercy, love, and pity dwell, there God is dwelling too. I love that line. Where mercy, love, and pity dwell, there God is dwelling too. Let's, let's let mercy and love dwell in our presence wherever we are. Let's be a blessing, knowing that we are blessed to be a blessing. May we, Clay Church, hear an invitation today. I hope you hear an invitation today. First, to embrace this mercy and forgiveness in your life. If you haven't known that sense that God loves you right now, as you are, where you are, claim that love. And then may we extend that embrace of God to those we know and those we don't know. May we be the ones to extend that, that mercy and grace into the world so that people say, you know what, I encountered this church. I encountered these people that call themselves Clay Church. And you know what? Those people love you. And they forgive you. And they embrace you no matter what. Let's be people who seek to encounter forgiveness and mercy wherever we are, wherever we go. Amen.